Evan got this ugly ass egg squishmallow from Walgreens in a mystery bag, and I'm it staring can't be at that me. ugly. It's dumb. It's stupid. Evan said it's a stupid egg. No, some squishmallows are butt ugly. Evan has uh, essential oils diffusing in here, or some some method of essential oil transfer, and it's very nice. It feels like we're in a spa, and they're making us record a podcast. A spodcast. Spodcast, my favorite kind of. Podcast. Oh, this is my spunk cast. Oh, the squishmallow is less ugly than I thought, but it's still on the ugly. Um, Show me it's the just, squishmallow. I sent it. It's Girl. stupid. Oh. Is what it is. It's stupid. Oh, come on. I got a bunny, so. Andrew, what do you mean that's stupid? It's stupid. It's a stupid egg. Evan wanted the ox. There was an Easter ox. In my opinion, that's one of the better squishmallows I've seen. Wow. You have bad taste, though, so I guess that makes sense. Well... I just don't understand what's wrong with this egg. Everything. Welcome, everybody, to Art Farts. Sorry that you missed us last week. We didn't turn the microphones on. <laughs> Sometimes wah, that's going to happen. But don't worry, because we're back, and we're going to talk about the same thing that you missed last time. Can't promise we'll be as silly, goofy, or funny, but I promise we'll be as stupid. But I promise the mics are on. Fool us once, can't get fooled again. Even though there's been many, many deleted episodes. Fool us once, we'll keep trying. I've got you, babe. Boom, 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 I got you, babe. That's right. I'm singing Sunny and Cher's classic. I got you, babe. Can anyone tell me why? Uh. Oh, I I don't. Is Cher okay? Yes, I was scared too. Cher is fine. Okay. <laughs> what about Sunny? Sunny is dead. Been dead. I was just dead. gonna say. I think Sunny has passed. Wow. Oh, he's been dead. <laughs> Wait, why are we... Okay, Sonny so... Was, Sonny was dead from the beginning. Sunny with a chance of dead. Sorry, insensitive. Is it... Are you singing that because of Groundhog Day? I am singing that because of Groundhog Day. Actually? Yeah. I what am. What does that mean? In the famous movie Groundhog's Day featuring Bill Murray, every day that <laughs> oh. he wakes up, the first song on the radio is, I got you, babe. Haven't seen it. What?! I don't know if I've seen that either. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my! Courtney had her hand over her mouth almost instantly after saying that. Oh my god, that's. I'm in shock. Okay, on our episode that was missed last week, we learned that Leanne's never heard of the band Cake nor heard a Cake song, and now I'm learning that you both have never seen Groundhog's Day. I feel like I, I many times this I feel like this is one of those things that every time it comes up I say yeah I haven't seen it and then you go what she's shocked you haven't watched it since last time we had this conversation I feel like I'm living in an eternal groundhog's day because of this it's just you know it's just not that high on my priority list I, I'll be honest and it should be it is the maybe one of the most Andrew movies I can think of it's Bill Murray there's groundhog's day <laughs> 
Sure. Oh, I hate that guy. I hate that little guy. It's funny. It's silly. It's also like a like I feel like so many movies have like learned from that movie. Oh, it's the blueprint, if you will. It's the blueprint. And there is always a chance if you put a movie on that I say I haven't seen. About fifteen minutes in, I'll go. No, no, I've seen this. You guys, you know. Well, th- was that the was that the original uh, time loop movie? Yeah. Do you know the OG. Oh shit. Ah. Uh. Yeah, that's it. That's that's like people. That's why people reference Groundhog's Day. I feel like that's the only reason it gets referenced. Like if it w- didn't have right. that plot, it probably wouldn't be important enough at all. But also, if it didn't have that plot, it wouldn't exist. <laughs> That's a time loop, if you think about it. Anyways. Um, no, it's not. I won't think about it, though. <laughs> Welcome to Art Farts. If you think this is a podcast where we talk about Bill Murray's discography, discography, filmography, discography, <laughs> that too, um, then you're right. But we also <laughs> talk about more. We talk about art history. But there's just one little problem. We have no certificates or degrees or any right to be teaching anyone about our history, let alone anything else. Well, we, I mean, we do all have a degree, right? Just not art related. I guess if we're going to think, think, I guess technically I do have an art degree. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I also think, I mean... Oh, I also have a Bachelor me. of Arts, I'm pretty sure, if that... Yeah, I mean. that's... Okay. Okay, forget what I said. We're starting over. We are stupid. So that's that's what we have. We're qualified in stupidity. Um, we have an interest in art and art history and art-related things. And so what we all do here is regurgitate art information and spit it back out for you guys um, so we can all try to understand and learn a little bit better. But usually doesn't go according to plan because of the fact that we're idiots. Right? I use a lot of Wikipedia. I trip over my words. My notes are, uh, they're mediocre. We're we're taking everything professional and turning it into layman's terms. It's like, this is art history 101, but advanced. I'm Courtney. I'm Leanne. I'm Andrew. And as you heard earlier, um, last week's episode is no longer with us. Rest in peace to last week's episode. So Pay your respects. We're, we're trying Damn. it again this week. Um, I, I'm sorry to my fellow fart hosts that you're going to hear the same material. But honestly, you I... You know, this is... This is kind of like a Groundhog Day this, situation. This <gasps> is a time loop. This is perfect That's for Groundhog Day. Um... I also was in rare form last time, so I feel like this is maybe for the best, so I can actually articulate my thoughts and ideas. Rare form is not good? I feel like we were a little out of control, if I remember correctly. I was like, what's going on? Where am I? But um, I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm here, I'm present. I don't remember... What I like, I don't remember all the things I wrote about, so I this will be a surprise for everyone here. Hell yeah, which is exciting. Um, so yeah, if this is your first time listening or you just forget what we do, each week one of us brings a art related topic to the table to share with each other. It might be about an artist, an art piece, an art movement, art place, art event, art genre, whatever. It could be anything art related, and we get pretty, we get funky. Hmm? We get out of the box. We get out of the box. So, 
Um, and you know what? I had a whole extra week to prepare a little bit or bob at the start. I have no bits or bobs. I got nothing. Anyone Me neither. Anyone got I, a bit or bob? I, 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 it really is like every time we do this, we get to this point and I'm like, damn, I should do one for next week. And then the next week comes and then it's like, damn, I should do one for next week. Well, we are idiots, so it's only right for us to not be prepared. It's almost like a Groundhog Day situation. Oh, my God. I will pay you $20 if you can say that 15 times. No, never mind, never mind. You know what? No, no, no. Say what 15 nothing, times? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, wanna... God. I was going to say the Groundhog's Day situation, but I was going to have to have it make sense, and you were going to – I know you were going to just start saying it. Uh-oh. You know me well. I do. I do. Part of me feels like it's already in motion. I know the evil laugh that you had on. That was scary. I'll keep it in the chamber. Okay. Chamber. Me when I'm holding in a fart. <laughs> I'll lock in the chamber. Um, But maybe it's good I don't have a bear bob because I do have 10 pages of notes. Yeah. I got a lot of details. Yeah. Um, Without further ado, are we ready to, to hop in? Yeah, we got some elliptus... What is it? Eucalyptus. 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 Mount Olympus. (laughs) We've got eucalyptus oil going. I got my fidget ring on. We're ready. Fidget ring. Fidget ring. I got my thanks, mom. I have my fidget ring on. I don't have a fidget thing, so I'm just going to play with these scissors. I'm farting. Oh, jeez. I'm trying to hit the fart button. I'm just going to play with this cheese grater. Okay, I'm going. And now. There we go. Fair warning that these are my most extensive notes yet, as I mentioned before. Um, but I promise you that there's no second of filler and there's just too much to talk about. So I have to just, I had to include it all. Um, also, I intended, and I guess this is, this still reigns true, so this is fine. I intended on speaking about the Sackler family and the opioid crisis. I can never say that word, opioid crisis mm-hmm. um but the tv wouldn't play the documentary the tv will still not play the documentary so i'm putting a pin on that and also you're welcome because this episode will now be a lot more fun andrew have you had any luck playing that documentary no which one is that the beauty and the bloodshed and the all the beauty and all the bloodshed maybe oh that one no i haven't tried yet it is impossible to find, and I've even tried pirating it. So if anyone has any tips for that, let me know because I'm trying to watch every Oscar-nominated movie. Thanks. There, yeah, there are a few movies there that I I've been seeing people like. Um, there's another one called Tell It Like a Woman or something. Yeah. Uh, that I saw people complaining that were like, "Does this movie even exist? Like, I can't even find any proof that this is anywhere." Irish Goodbye has 63 reviews, and I'm like, it's not even worth it to try finding this. I don't think. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll, I think it'll be out maybe before the Oscars, but who knows? Who knows? That's a problem for a different time, and that time is right now. <laughs> Anyways, um. I've been wanting to talk about this artist since I first saw one of her pieces at the Mass Mos- oh, Mass Mocha last September. <laughs> oh. The Mass Mo- Mouse. <laughs> Mickey oh, Mouse's house. Tiny Mass Mocha that's for the mice. <laughs> oh. Oh, um, Mice Mocha? Mouse Mocha. But after going to the Mass Mocha last September, <laughs> um, nothing could have prepared me for the repertoire that I found about this artist. Um, and luckily Andrew was there with me so he can he can kind of talk about this I too later there. he was there um 
I was expecting to give some background about the artist and then dive into the installation I saw, but after learning more about her, I realized tackling her history would be no small feat. And also, the piece that I wanted to talk about has virtually no information online about it. Well, there's some, but not as much as I was expecting. Honestly, the fact that I had never heard of her or seen her work before was shocking, especially considering that she's released music that has charted and was considered famous through other means. She's also been considered, and I quote, America's most renowned and daring creative pioneer, known primarily for her multimedia presentations and casting herself in roles as a visual artist, composer, poet, photographer, filmmaker, electronics whiz, vocalist, and instrumentalist. So, without further ado, I will be covering the life of Lori Anderson and a few of her contributions to the world in the most comprehensive and fardish way possible, considering her busy multimedia lifestyle. Ooh. Hell yeah. Ooh. That's my, uh... Ooh. That's my foghorn sound. Oh Ooh. my god, that was a foghorn? Lori was born Laurel Phillips Anderson in Glen Ellen, Illinois, in 1947, which I looked up, and it's about 20 miles south of Chicago. Okay. She grew up with seven siblings, so there was eight of them total. And growing up, she spent her weekends studying painting at the Art Institute of Chicago. But her real passion was playing violin, which she started learning at five years old. And I don't know if you guys know about music and stuff, but five years old is pretty young to be starting to play anything. Um... Lori said in an interview that her parents push every child to learn an instrument, even if they were not musically inclined and sounded terrible, because her parents thought it would be nice to have their own little orchestra, which is such a funny reason to have that many kids. Um, I don't know what came first. They were like, let's give birth to all these kids and then we can have an orchestra. Or like, oh my god, we have this many kids, we need to start an orchestra. Let's give birth to a family band. Um Apparently her, I think she was saying her brothers, they, a few of them picked up drums and she said it was just hell. Like oh. just them, like they were just so bad and it just was so loud. It's so many, a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She had, I think she has, I forget exactly, but I think it's like six brothers, two girls. Like I think. What? Yeah. That's brutal. I'm pretty sure. And she has, I know for a fact she has uh, one of the sets of brothers is twins. <gasps> so who knows? That's sinister. It's like. <laughs> Anytime I think about two people playing drums, I think about stepbrothers, so that's that's all I picture happening. Um, as a teenager, she played in the Chicago Youth Symphony, which is a very... Uh, youth symphonies are hard to get into, so she had to be good. I didn't look up, like, which chair she was. Um, if you didn't know, me and Andrew were in orchestra for a long time, so, yeah, we get... Yeah. We know the discipline that it takes. Um and between practicing violin for six hours a day and learning to paint on the weekends, it was just already a line that Lori would become an artist in some regard one day. But at the age of 16, she made a really hard decision and she decided to lessen her relationship with the violin because she had other areas of art she wanted to learn and explore and just not enough time. She kind of realized that if she kept with violin this seriously she would have to become a professional violin player which you know is it's just like you need to practice so much you kind of like eventually you, it's your whole life is violin and you can't really make time for anything else um and she realized she could never be a professional artist um or she would just like lose lose out on on just other other things 
So uh, that's kind of a common trope for her, which we're going to learn more and more about as we keep diving in. But what a thing to decide at 16 years old, you know? They, like, they make you kind of decide what you want to do at 18 if you do, like, the American trajectory of, of education. I'm 25 and I have decided what I want to do. I know, exactly. Um, and so for to, like, be 16 and to make this decision, because it's, it's, like, if she decides to stop doing violin, then that's kind of it. She can't just, like, you can mm-hmm. hop back into it, but not as seriously as she was playing at this age. So, um, that's a, that's a tough decision, but she said that she had a few interactions with older musicians that ruined her perception of the career. Lori said they were so focused on music. They were often lacking in other areas. There was a cellist who was a wonderful musician. I remember talking to her once and there were a couple of words that she seriously mispronounced. I was quite astounded and I thought, I don't want to be like that. I want to learn to talk, um, which is such a funny dig, but Also, like, I totally get it. Like, if you dedicate your life to music and, like, you don't get to explore other areas, of course it's going to be, you know, just... You're going to be lacking in those other areas. Imbalance. That's what happened to Andrew when he really dedicated his life to cello. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why he's like this. When did I ever dedicate my life to cello? I could could barely dedicate a few hours to cello. (laughs) Andrew's a very good cellist. Just don't let him fool you. I don't know where this narrative came from. It's my favorite narrative. At least you still have a cello. That's the fact. Yeah. The fact that it's there, I'm like, oh, you play this. Uh, I don't even own it. I, an I instrument. don't play it. <laughs> it's just for looks. Um, speaking of talking, talking was very important to Lori. She began reading chapter books at age seven. And was a serious book lover and stel- stellar storyteller. Um, and just for, again, for reference, kids usually start reading around six or seven. And so chapter books at seven years old is quite a feat. She also would help her siblings fall asleep by telling them, telling them these super complicated tales with reoccurring characters in entire fantasy worlds. And she had a lot of siblings so she had to kind of make it consistent and um, they were very complicated because she did this for years. And I just think that's so cool that there's just entire stories that probably could be turned into just like several books that are just in her mind and in like all of her siblings minds. That's so special, too. She's out there world building. Literally. She's just creative. She's just a little little artsy. Hmm. Um, one second. I made my page really small by accident. Please. Okay. Scrolling. (laughs) Please. Please, you don't understand. I can't do this. Okay, got it. Despite her intense interest in the arts, when it was time for Lori to go off to college, she chose to study biology. (laughs) Big turn of events. Uh, Lori attended Mills College in Oakland, California. During a lab one day, she was extracting chlorophyll not chlorophyll, I almost said chlorophyll. <laughs> she was extracting chlorophyll from plants and producing these graphs on paper. And during this experiment, she remembered how much she loved painting because I guess the green from the chlorophyll reminded her of painting. So in 1966, Lori transferred from uh, Mills College to Barnard College in New York City. So from LA, or I mean Oakland, near LA, to New York City. And she began studying art history. So still not art, um, but not biology. So more more on, on par. 
She then graduated in 1969 and began studying at the School of Visual Arts for, post, for a post-grad degree, which is where she picked up sculpture. Um, and that's kind of what she ends up being most known for. I literally couldn't find... Oh, like, I did not find that many sculptures that she did, but everything was like, Laurie Anderson, the sculpture, sculptor. And I was like, okay. Um, and at that school, she studied with Sol Lewitt. Sol, Andrew, go ahead, help me. Uh, Sol Lewitt? Sol Lewitt? Nice. I don't know. Yeah. Who we also saw at the Mass Mocha, so that's kind of fun. Um, and Yeah, he was there. He was there, yeah. Oh? No, he wasn't. Oh. He has long passed away. Oh. Right? Up with Sonny. His body was there. His body was there. Oh, Jeez. God. Um, I'm trying to think now if his piece was near hers. No, I don't think so. He has... Uh, no, no. He had deep connections no, no, with no. Mass Mocha. He has a permanent installation there. It's been there forever. Um, fun side note, though. Lori decided to switch from painting to sculpture because she said the sculpture department was just really fun. That's, like, why she did that. She was like, oh, my God, everyone here is goofy, silly. I'm going to join this. Uh, And there was when she fell in love with minimal art and minimal art theory. But she actually liked the discussion around art more than the art itself. Because, again, she loved words and she loved hearing people talk and she loved books and she loved discussing things. Um, So even though she, she enjoyed minimal art and art history, she really liked the theory behind it and talking about the theory and learning more about the theory. She then went to Columbia University to get an MFA in sculpture, which is a Master of Fine Arts, but found that their department was not fun like the previous one, and so she was having a terrible time. But still, she graduated and then began teaching art history at a city col- at City College, like the City College in New York City, and began working as an art critic. Um, so at this point, two jobs, art history teacher, a college-level art history teacher, art critic okay then she also started having a side hustle of illustrating books for local authors which helped her establish her style as an artist so now she's got three jobs she's working in 1972 she created her first true performance pieces which combined her original love of music and art um and so now she's she's got three career or four count them four careers going on um, and I want to tell, I want to tell you a little bit more about this first performance piece that she she ever did first ever. Tell me about it. She rented a public common in Rochester, Vermont, and orchestrated a song on car horns, which made Andrew so confused last time I mentioned this. Um, yes, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> the logistics of it all is she running? Are there hired bodies? Right, right. I couldn't find too many pictures because, again, it was her first piece. So I think people were more like, what? And less like, oh, it's art. Um, and she also wrote the song that she she demonstrated on these car horns. She, like, like, what's it called when you write the music notes? Composed. She composed it. Composed? Composed. Um, but after this, she made another piece that got a little bit more famous. She continued to use her combination of art and music and performed duets on ice, which was also a public performance and kind of got started to get her on people's minds. For this performance, Lori wore ice skates that had been frozen in blocks of ice and she played cowboy songs on her self-playing violin that she created, which has um, a little 
magnetic tape loop and the music unwinds and it plays like kind of like a recording-esque song that she wrote and made and performed. So it's not quite like a recording, but it's using a tape loop. I I really, I'm trying to explain it, but that's the best I can do. Um, yeah, I don't know what that means. There's some pictures of it, but we can have a whole separate episode to get into her inventions. Um, so maybe I'll do that one day. But essentially, she wanted to perform a duet with herself, and she only has two hands or two arms, and so she had her violin playing on this loop, and then she had a second violin that she was playing herself while she Ooh. skated around in these block ice skates. Um, just kind of really baller, actually. And the show would end when the ice melted, so it could go on for quite a while. As these shows became more popular, Lori transitioned from teacher, critic, illustrator, artist to just straight up artist. She started making artist friends. She was invent and I did this last time. She was invited to artist events and she started making artist money, which I don't know, like at this time, if artists were making that much money, but she was making more money than doing all of the little side hustles. And after this, she made a bunch more art, more art performances. Um, But we just don't have the time to talk about all of them. And I think I seriously do think Lori will have a callback episode one day. But for now, I want to talk about the music. And I remember in in the episode from last week, I also, what's that song? And about the music. Thank you for the muse. What is it? We thank you for the music. Thank you. Is it ABBA? Give your to me. Oh, I have no idea. Simply having oh, get a it. wonderful Christmas time. Uh, uh. I think we had to search. I'm searching it feverishly right now. Yeah, it's ABBA. Thank you for the music. Wait, I need the lyrics. I like can't think of the tune. It's in they. I don't think they do it in Mamma Mia the movie, but they do it in Mamma Mia the musical for sure, guaranteed. Mama Mia. 100%. Here we go again. Mama. I can, like, picture the musical number, I feel like. Mama Mia. So I say thank you for the the music, the songs I'm singing. Thanks for all the joy they're bringing. That's it. Have I seen what? Mama Mia the musical. Absolutely. Have we seen Mama Mia the musical? Not on Broadway, but give me a chance. Please. What do you give, mean give you? What? Please give me a chance to go. I want to go so bad. <laughs> please, we're trying to get flued out. Uh, Not flu. I not know. As flu. soon as I said it, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> please, we're trying to get the flu. Please, no. All right. Into her musical years, Lori released her first single in 1977 called It's Not the Bullet That Kills You, It's the Hole. It's this upbeat song that has Lori playing lead violin, of course. It had some underground success, but that was pretty much it. It was, it was, it was like, it kind of reminds me of, <laughs> this is such a stupid comparison. Reminds me of 30 Rock. <laughs> uh, How 30 Rock was like very critically acclaimed, but like no one watched it and liked it. Um, at the time when it came out, that's, that's what, it's not the bullet that kills you, it's the hole was. 
Would you, wait, run it back? It's not the bullet that kills you, it's the hole? Yeah. Oh, that checks out. Mm-hmm. I like the name. Hmm. I like the names of all of her songs. Um, after this, Holly Solomon. Okay, pause. We have to talk about Holly Solomon really quick because I had no pause. clue. Pause. Pause up. Um, I, That's giving me pause. Giving mm. me pause, whatever that means. Real. It means it's making you steal, um, like, pause. It's giving pause. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Looks like dog paws. Um, so let me give you some backstory about Holly Solomon because I had never heard of her. One, she was born in Bridgeport Hospital, which is also where me and Leanne were born. Sorry, we're, we're doxing ourselves. Don't live there now, though. Blit. Um, Don't show up to my birth. She was a famous collector of contemporary art and founded the Holly Solomon Gallery in New York City, which is kind of what got minimal art really famous, apparently. So she's got a, a collection. It's still there from what I remember my research showing. Like, like you can still go and see all of her art, art and stuff. Um, anyways, Holly Solomon asked Lori to perform, perform at Carnegie Hall for her husband's birthday, which is kind of a really big deal if you think about it. One, t- for, like, hiring Lori Anderson to, like, perform for her husband's birthday, which Holly Solomon's, like, a really big deal, and so her husband's a really big deal, and so everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, who's Lori Anderson? She's performing? Like, this is your – this is the bit. Um, and also, Carnegie Hall is no no small thing either. Um, we, me and Andrew have been there multiple times. Have we? Yeah. For what? Just field trips. For when? Remember the time they, they we found out what a mute was for a tuba? Oh, yeah, the big tuba mute. Yes. <laughs> that was at Carnegie Hall. And that was Carnegie Hall? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that one was. We've seen a lot That's of concerts. That's impressive. I, I remember that I almost missed one of the trips to Carnegie Hall because I slept in. And I was really close to missing Uh-oh. it. Yeah, but I made it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a it's a very well received um, orchestra hall, and and so it's a big deal, very big deal. The fact that you could even rent it out for someone's birthday should show you how big of a deal this was for Lori. Um, and this exposure. Well, I, I mean, I can rent out the movie theater room at the movie theater for a birthday. I don't think you could rent out. No offense. I'm not calling you broke. I don't think you could rent out Carnegie Hall if you wanted to. I'll look it up. Okay. No, actually, look that up. Get back to us. Okay. Um, but this exposure got her feet in a door. Feet in a door. <laughs> feet in the door <laughs> as a respected musician. So it, now Lori is this respected artist from all these performances she's putting on. And she's a respected musician. So the doors just keep opening for her. She's got... She's... She's very well-rounded. Um, and because of her skills in many areas, it keeps her art new and fresh and innovative, so it's not looking like anything's going to... You know, she's not... The hype isn't going to die down anytime soon because she can kind of just switch it up and, and do all these different outlets. Um, but hey, I got the price, by the way. Tell me. Um, well, actually, I'm seeing a couple conflicting reports. Oh, no. This one, it seems a little more accurate, says 14000 per night. Okay, um, okay. This one, uh, well, this one's from 2000. No, that's 2019. This one says 2000. Oh. What's 2019? A little less than 2000, actually. Oh, $2,000? $2, yeah. 
I feel like that's too little. Apparently, you can rent this venue for a bit less than 2K. That doesn't feel right. I don't Maybe they're not talking about it. It, actually, could, it could be right. The price of Carnegie Hall is, could have gone down. I feel like I can't rent out a high school gym for that much. All I know, though, is hmm. it's it's a big deal. Then you got your name on the board, too, like... Who's playing at Carnegie Hall? Anyways, um, she's a musician. She's an artist. And in 1981, Lori seemingly struck gold. She released her eight-minute-long single, Oh Superman, which hit charts and became number two single on UK's charts, I think, overnight, possibly. Um, now, I've always associated this song with THE David Bowie, who covered this song in 1997. Um, but we'll get into that in maybe a minute or two. Mm-hmm. But that's like, that's a crazy thing. I think an eight minute first, like one, this is like, sure. People know you, but not many people know you yet. You release a single. This single is eight minutes long. I'm guessing like the average single length is like two minutes probably. <laughs> so, uh, that's really long. And then Overnight becomes number two on UK charts. I, again, what? I don't know how UK got such an affinity for it, <coughs> um, but listen to this. When it was released, she had people calling her directly asking for copies of the single. So she went and pressed a thousand records herself until she got a call from a DJ in England who asked her to print 40,000 records. Lori did not have the means to do this, so she called Warner Brothers Studios and asked them to help her. And then all of a sudden, she's she signed, and they're printing um, her all of her records for her, and she's kind of, like, associated with one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Alexa, call Warner Brothers. <laughs> I picture... Why do I picture, like, the Looney Tunes answering when she calls? Like, Daffy Duck and Why Bugs was Bunny? that what I... I was picturing him answering, too. Yeah, right? The, Warner Brothers has us... They have us right where they want us. He's literally the receptionist. They got us. Um, but that's uh, imagine getting a call from a DJ. I uh, what in it? Can I? <gasps> we love your hey, song, brov. brov. We love your song. Can we get forty thousand copies of it? <laughs> forty thousand. That's so many. We need forty thousand bloody copies of it. Also, he right now. He wouldn't ask for forty because I. It seems like he's probably. Is he upfronting the money? Like, is he, <laughs> is he like, here's all the money? So he must think that, he must know that they're going to sell out, like, hotcakes. Right? Like, was there a pre-order? Did we miss something? But overnight number two on UK's charts. Like, that's such a, that's a big deal. Um, Have you guys ever bought hotcakes? Like, that, fr- I mean, like, what? The fuck is what is a hotcake, hot really? Pancakes or hotcakes? Pancakes or hotcakes? Yeah, pancakes or hotcakes. Are you thinking of selling like hotcakes? Yeah, selling like hotcakes. They're selling like pancakes. I gotta say this now. Pancakes sell that well? I just, I, okay, two things. (laughs) Two things, because watch, Aaron Mankey's gonna talk about this next. Aaron, I swear to God, Aaron Mankey's gonna get on Cabinet of Curiosities tomorrow and he's gonna say, guess what? This is where the phrase selling like hotcakes comes from. He's going to say it. 
here's my two i've had i've had maybe four or five weird aaron makey <laughs> things happen to me this past week but here's two of them that i cannot ignore any longer one i watched on six movie sunday this past sunday i watched um goodwill hunting okay you know the whole scene with robin williams and um the the swedish what's it, what are their names house mafia no what are their <laughs> chef <laughs> oh my god help who what are the what's the swedish family that are actors the scars guard the scars guards guard whatever they're sitting down at the bar and you know when robin williams tells the whole tale about how the dude this dude went to harvard and whatever blah blah, blah and he was like do you know who he is the unabomber remember that scene <laughs> do you know that scene i i don't remember it but it makes sense so i'm listening to the newest cabinet of curiosities that came i think came out on monday whatever he tells like the whole he sets it up like Robin Williams does, and he's like, and who was that man? The Unabomber. I'm like, that's Robin. Robin Williams just did that. I just watched that happen. That's weird. Okay, whatever. Then I think maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday, I forget if I asked Evan or who I asked, but I was like, what does cocktail mean? Why do we call it a cocktail? Like that's so weird. Like what is a cocktail? I've never. I can't even. I love etymology. I cannot find like the root of why we'd call it. I can't even figure it out. Is it chicken related? Is it penis related i don't know um i'm listening today he talked about the origin of the word <gasps> cocktail that's scary what is the origin yeah was it birds or penis uh it's a whole long story mm. it's horse related actually Ugh. um Ugh. but fucking horses fuck them there used to be there used to be a drink uh, before prohibition people drank what were called slings and it was like cinnamon nutmeg and then like gin in a little cup uh-uh. mm. and they sling it back and it was like a shot essentially that's atrocious yes it was it's gross but they I loved mean, it that sounds like it tastes better than just what? a regular yeah. shot that's the thing it actually did change everyone and then like everyone became alcoholics and then prohibition started like that slings were one of the reason why people like started prohibition um but then what was happening was people get so drunk that they'd get hung over and so they started taking they started making this medicine to help them with their hangover but what medicine was back then was just bitters on sugar bitters and sugar is bitters alcohol no but bitters is what people use in cocktails mm. like bitters like a, an aromatic or to whatever to make it bitter to make it bitter yeah whatever but um what they started doing was like they were like what if we just mixed it all together and so you like would feel better from the hangover because you had the bitters in the drink already and that's they made it and they're like, well, we need it. They said sling was too gross. What they were the like, fuck was that? Leanne dropped her phone. It's my phone. <laughs> they were like, sling is too gross. That's like, no one wants like to order a sling. Hey, can I get a sling? So, I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> what? What <laughs> accent was that? Where are we? I wish you could see what happened to her hand when she said that. <laughs> I was trying to do like 1920 Chicago, but I think I went like a little Jamaican, I think, by accident. <laughs> I'm not even sure. I can't place it. I was trying to be mob boss. Uh, you're trying to be like. Can I get a sling? Oh. <laughs> she. Uh, I'm not sure. Two you slings for the table. That might be better. Two. Two slings. Um, and they were like, we need a better name. And when they used to judge horses, I guess like horse races became really popular around that time too. Who? Why is everyone spending the money around this time? Don't they know the Great Depression is going to happen anyway? Right. Um. <laughs> they were judging horses and if the horse's tail was cocked upright it meant it was a really good horse or something and so they're like cocked tail cocktail 
that's what they named it after. Uh, yeah. Oh my lord! <clears throat> but it was so scary. I literally was shaking in my boots on my on my ride home from work today because I literally I think yesterday I asked the question and he answered it. And I think I know we have something living in the walls. And I swear to God, it might be Aaron Makey. Well, that's I, how he pushes I, out content who, like that. As someone who has seen the thing in the walls, I don't think it's Aaron Mankey. Then again, I haven't seen Aaron Mankey. I was just about to say, have you ever seen Aaron Mankey? Because I realized this week, I also have never seen Aaron Mankey. I was trying to, I was listening to him talk, like really talk, and I was like, what could this bitch look like? Like, what could he look like? I picture him as so tiny. I picture him so sweet looking, and I bet, I'm sorry, I bet he's one ugly motherfucker. (gasps) I just know it deep down in my heart, you know? Like, I bet he's not. Okay, sorry, this is such a left, left field i'm looking up aaron makey right now i was gonna say before we go back in i got the skinny on the yeah, uh the hot cakes him up. oh tell us about the oh cakes. god oh li- did you see him <laughs> i'm looking at him look what i found <laughs> <That's> not- <laughs> Courtney, he's showing me voodoo dolls <laughs> i don't know what happened he's after me um, I don't want. He's actually he's not as ugly as I I didn't mean to say. Oh God, it was just a joke. Aaron. <laughs> was, I, he's not. You're not that this. ugly. Ooh, Aaron, please don't turn the this, podcast off. This is. Oh, for anyone who doesn't know, I feel like we might have already said it. Aaron Menke hosts a podcast called Lore. Oh, if they listen to any podcast, then they have to know about Lore. That's an OG. Lore host. Wait, what is? How does he say it? And if you haven't, and if you didn't know, I host a uh, award-winning podcast called Lore. You can find out more about it on theworldoflore.com. I also make a TV show with the same name, Lore. You can find it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I and, and if you didn't know, I'm living in your walls. <laughs> but I listen, I used to listen to Lore, but um, I think he, not that he ran out of content, but... Now I listen to mostly Cabinet of Curiosities, which is like a little mini 10, 10 minute of just like little fun, fun things. Very, very good. Highly recommend. Tell us about hotcakes. In the 1800s, um, they're making just like simple little cornmeal, little pancakes, and they would sell them at church bake sales and people wanted to buy them before they got cold. So they would they would just be flying off the griddle. So then they were like, oh, they're selling like hotcakes because things would hotcakes would sell really fast because you wanted them hot. Everything has an answer. Everything we is should connected. modernize phrases like that. Like, ooh, uh, they're selling like Dogecoin or you, something. You have no idea, Andrew. I every day, I well, not every day, but today, a hundred percent for sure. I'm teaching. I'm teaching kids about idioms, and I'm going through the book, and I'm like. I actually don't know half of these, so I'm gonna skip all. I'm the ones teaching I don't know. kids about idiots. <laughs> I'm just me talking. Uh, I'm holding up a mirror to them and saying, "This is them right there." <laughs> oh my god! I say stupid, stupid. <laughs> there was one today where I was like, "What the hell does this mean?" Oh, I did say, <laughs> I used the phrase "um pick your brain," and oh. one of the kids said, "What?" <laughs> Because if you hear, like, if you don't know what that means, and it says, it's, they said it was like, let me pick your brain. They're like, what? Like, screaming lobotomy. <laughs> like, that's not fun. That's not good. Okay. Um, where the hell was I? Oh, yeah. So she's, she sold them like hotcakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> signed to Warner Brothers. And then she went on to write more music that hit charts. 
Her music would go on to inspire musicians like St. Vincent, The Big Pink, Spiritualized, Francesca Lombardo, Clinic, Frank Sidebottom, Cut Copy, and James Dean Bradfield. The only one I really know very well is St. Vincent, which um, St. Vincent said in an interview she would have never played guitar if it wasn't for Lori Anderson. And I don't know where I'd be today without St. Vincent, so... That's all. Um, also, I do... No, I want to say one more thing. David Bowie also said that she was one of the most inspirational artists to him, which is why he covered one of her songs, which is crazy, because that's David Bowie. So. Love that man. Okay, let's talk about Lou. In 1992, Lori met Lou Reed... That's right, the lead singer of the Velvet Underground. <coughs> and I'm going to use what Lori writes about Lou because I love the way she talks and she says it better than I ever could. I also don't want to talk about Lou Reed like that. <laughs> I met Lou in Munich. We were both playing in John Zorn's Kristallnacht Festival, which marked the beginning of the Holocaust. It was like a festival to um, commemorate the start of the Holocaust. Um. R- Part of the, it's like part of this quote is summarized from the interviewer, so it will be a little awkward, but Reed later asked me to perform a piece with his band. I liked him right away, but I was surprised he didn't have an English accent. For some reason, I thought the Velvet Underground were British, and I only had a vague idea of what they did. I was from a different world. Upon returning to New York, we became, we became closer. Lou and I played music together, became best friends, and then soulmates. We traveled, listened to, and criticized each other's work. Studied things together like butterfly hunting, meditation, kayaking. We made up ridiculous jokes, stopped smoking 20 times, fought, learned to hold our breath underwater, went to Africa, sang opera in elevators, made friends with unlikely people, followed each other on tour when we could, got a sweet piano-playing dog, shared a house that was separate from our own places, (laughs) protected and loved each other. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) What is it? Is it what I think you think? Just I'm just thinking about the dog. Got a piano playing dog. (laughs) There's a little bit in there. Um, Now, I have heard before that Lou Reed is awful. Like he was racist and abused women. And a bunch of people said he was just like a bitter, angry man. Um, so I can't tell for sure if he ever treated Lori like this because she had nothing but amazing things to say about him. Um, I don't know if she just didn't care or if he just like never showed that side to her or if she changed him for the better and like he was different after he met her and that was like his awful self before. I can change him. I can fix him. (laughs) Lori, based on Lori, like I feel like she would put up with no bullshit, you know? So I like don't know exactly how this relationship worked but we're we're gonna learn a little bit more about them which might clear some things up um but right now this is not lou reed's story back to Lori. um this this next subsection is titled breakdown slash more art so that's my favorite part in the 1990s Lori's art started becoming more political specifically looking into isolation within communities censorship and destruction In 1995, Lori presented the Nerve Bible in New York City, which included meditative narration, violin, and electronic music, a visual light show, projection, and futuristic costumes. 
This piece combined many of Lori's aspects from previous installations, which would carve the way for her future art. So she kind of like r- took a real deep dive into electronic music, and that was kind of where, where she was at. Um, but then in two thousand one, Lori had some sort of breakdown. I wouldn't say like mental breakdown, but just mm-hmm. like existence breakdown after being in the spotlight for several years. She wanted to do something where she had no <laughs> expectations from her and did not know what to expect herself. So Lori stopped making art. And started working at McDonald's. She said, I decided maybe I would just try to put myself in places where I don't know what to do, what to say, or how to act. And then after a little while, she, like, got good at working at McDonald's. And so she switched it up again. She began working on an Amish farm. Um, and then, which... This part, I, I realized last week, I'm like, how does this make sense? She got rid of all of her technology, she said, and which I'm assuming included phones if this oh, was yeah. 2001. Um, but Lori was cold called by NASA. So I don't know if like maybe NASA called the Amish farm. I don't know if the Amish farm had phones. I don't know how they got in contact with her or if she was like done working at the Amish farm and like made it home just in time to answer NASA. NASA beamed down a signal from a satellite. They like to her brain. They ride in on a horse. They're like, Lori, we have mail for you. <laughs> cold called as a in, message as in just mail. Um, but they asked her to be the first ever artist in residence at NASA in Pasadena. Um, and Lori was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so cool. What would that entail? And NASA was like, you know what? We have no idea. We're not quite sure what that means. But, of course, Lori said yes because it was something she was not expecting. And she had no expectations of her. And, like, <coughs> NASA didn't even know what was going on. It was exactly what she wanted. Especially, I'm sure she probably mastered working at the Amish farm, so she needed something new. Um, but, unfortunately, soon after she started, the artist residency program was discontinued due to pressure from the government to fun- to use their funds um, for more appropriate things like funding the moon. They were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> art, like, artists. I think it's a great idea to mix, like, art and science, but... I think that's good for morale. It was also, it was like the summer of 2001, so the, I just can imagine <laughs> oh. the government being like, we need to, we need to land the moon more. We gotta get we to the moon now. We need to be now. working on our space odyssey it, right now. They said they want to save 2001. up... 2001. They wanted to save up money for the moon, and so I, like, I don't know if they were gonna, like, pay off the moon's debts or, like, what exactly the funds were gonna go... F- like, for the moon. Like, it wasn't to go to the moon. It was for the moon. We fucking would give the moon debt. <laughs> yeah, she's just... <laughs> she's not paying rent for free. Um... This is so funny. Right after I have this, I said, soon after this, Lori decided to marry Lou, which is just a funny... She got she got fired from NASA, and then she decides to get married. She said, eh, what are you going to do? Lou and her were together for 15 years of partnership um, when one day she called him up, and she said, there's so many things I've never done that I wanted to do. I never learned German. I never studied physics, and I never got married. She shared in an interview that she married him in the spirit of innovation and personal challenge. It was like her next step. Reed responded to her by suggesting that you meet halfway because she was on the East Coast and he was on the West Coast, and get married. So that <clears throat> following day, they met in Boulder, Colorado, and this the rest of this is a quote from Lori. 
We got married in a friend's backyard on a Saturday wearing our old Saturday clothes, and when I had to do a show right after the ceremony, it was okay with Lou. The two remained together until Reed's death in 2013. From what I've read, it seems like the two never really lived together. They just loved each other, liked having fun, and decided to cross something else off their bucket list. Like, they were together for 15 years before getting married, so they really just were, like, best friends in love kind of thing. Um, And in that quote earlier, she did say, we shared a house that was separate from our own places. So, like, they, in their mind, they had their own places, and then they had, like, shared space, too. So they were very, like, I'd say non-traditional. I love that. Yeah, right? I'm like, this is... So I'm like, I can see if he was shitty, like, I can see how she didn't have to experience that kind of thing. She said, I'm going right. home. Maybe he was just <clears throat> shitty to everyone else. Uh. Um, but now let's talk about the mass mocha. This is this is what... The meat and potatoes. Sorry, that was... Meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Honey and molasses. Or... Potatoes and molasses. Oh, potatoes and, and molasses. molasses. If you want some, just come and ask us. I needed to lay that extensive path down in order to talk about the piece that I saw in September. So thanks for hanging in there. Lori, maybe do less. Lori has had many pieces featured in the Mass Mocha, and a lot of them are these huge, big installations. So the piece that I wanted to talk about was so hard to pin down. She also has a piece that's being installed right now, and it's, like, a really big deal. And so if I type in Lori Anderson Mass Mocha, it's all about that. And then it's all about these other big things, but that's not what I wanted. That's I'm looking to talk about the thing I saw in September. I'm going to describe the experience, and Andrew can help me fill in the missing pieces as we go. But this is what I saw when I went into this room. You enter this room that is separated by a door, so it's not just, like, open space it's you gotta you gotta go through a door and in there it's relatively dark the walls are all painted black and areas are illuminated by warm light or projections there's a story written on the wall which kind of pulls you in there's some glass displays on the side of the room but running down along the middle of the room is a structure almost like a long rectangular pit that's raised in the middle of the room filled up with cut up strings of paper that have images projected on from the ceiling Adjacent to this room was a virtual reality exhibit called The Moon in association with her time at NASA, but we did not have reservations to see that exhibit this day. Anything to add, Andrew? No. Uh, Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to talk about the piece that is right down the middle. Um, That's that's, this raised structure first. This piece is called Sidewalk, created in 2012. It's paired with a few other pieces in the room, all about altered books, which I never realized when I was there. Sidewalk features shredded pages from Crime and Punishment that create a topographical platform, and video projections feature indistinguishable... My phone died. No! Oh my god, Andrew's gonna think I hung up on him. Do you wanna use mine? I can use the iPad. Oh, perfect. I was going to say, actually, I am about to be in the same place as you. I was hung up on, for the record, I get hung up on, like, every episode. Oh, I got a cough, too. Okay. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. 
This piece is called Sidewalk, created in 2012. It's paired with a few other pieces about altered books, which I never realized all of these pieces had to do with books until I was doing this research. Um, anyways, Sidewalk features shredded pages from Crime and Punishment that create a topographical platform, and the video projections feature indistinguishable features or indistinguishable figures, animals, and architecture that plays on a loop. So, like, it's... How long would you say it is, Andrew? The whole thing in the middle. How long? Yeah. I honestly, I have no recollection of how long it is. Maybe like eight to ten feet long. And no more than like two to three feet wide. And then it's like not even a foot up from the ground. So it's it's up from the ground, but it's it's more long than it is tall. Um, so you kind of have to like lean into it if you want to see anything really close up. One of the glass displays featured on the side is called Scroll, which is from 2021. And this piece is in collaboration with the Art Intelligence Agency and the Australian Institute for Machine Learning. That's right. Laurie Anderson made some AI art. Ah! But this one is not scary and bad. <laughs> this piece utilizes AI in a fun and innovative way. And it's kind of like, I think, the best way to do it. Scroll uses AI to generate an idiosyncratic rewrite of Genesis and Re- Revelations, the first and last book of the Bible, based on Lori's own personal apocalyptic vision. So she read her right. She fed the machine writing from her dreams that she ri- wrote down. I guess she takes like mm, yum 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 <laughs> yum yum yum. She writes a bunch of dream journals and like normal journals. She's always writing. She loves words. Um, and then she just fed the Bible books into the machine too, and it mixed them together. But the piece that makes it AI, not just like pasting the pieces together, is that it's rewritten in a grammatically appropriate way versus just being a word mash. So it's like, it still makes sense, but it's not, it's her words with God's words, I guess. Um, I guess, and I really do think it's the best way to use AI because it's still your own art. And then it's just like a very, very old book, which I feel like is just free property. And you're using technology to make it into something new. When Lori first got this book back, she said, they sent a 9,000 page version of this to me. It's so creepy. It's the Bible according to me, which is just horrible. It's like the bloody end of the world. So, that's fun. Um, Also, she thought everyone was British. She's saying things like bloody. Come on. She just wanted them to be British, I think. Yeah. She's like, someone say bloody. She wanted them to be British, and everyone in Britain loves her. So, think about that. Thinking. There's a noise outside. This revamped Bible sits on a bookstand in the glass display, which is sat beside an electric fan. The fan blows the book's pages and may occasionally flip through the book. You have to look through the glass to see the text, and it's relatively hard to read, but when you do see a few pages, it gets pretty creepy. But it's, like, hard to read all of the book because, like, the fan only does a few pages at a time, and also the fan is just facing on one side of it, so, like, you don't have anything to flip it back over. (laughs) They're like, wait, go back. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how what they do at the end of the day. But Aw, whose job is it to to turn it back to page one? It seemed like it kind of just, it sits open in the middle and, like, maybe a few pages turn, 
you know, because the, the fan's pretty low. Um, so I mentioned earlier how there was a story written on the sides of the wall. One part of the story on one wall, wall and the other on the opposite side, which is intended to pull you back and forth between the rooms and also intended to be a metaphor. This story is what got me hooked on the exhibit and was what left the most lasting impression on me during the whole day at the museum. Both walls feature a tale about a childhood disaster that happened to Lori. One describes a tragic tale about her twin brothers on a frozen lake, and the other recounts her experience with a dive gone wrong at the swimming pool. Both stories connect with water, connect her to her family, and take a deeper look at some of those connections to those who have control over her, I'd say. Mm. This story actually comes from a greater work made by Lori called Heart of a Dog, which is a 2015 documentary directed and composed by Lori herself. The overall story focuses on her dog, Lola Bell, who I haven't talked about yet, who has since passed away. This dog was a rock star, like literally, legitimately a rock star. Lola Bell played the piano and also painted. Lori actually taught Lola Bell piano once she went blind. She had a blind piano playing dog, a dog that learned piano once she was blind. Not like, well, oh, she always knew it, so she'll remember it now. Um, dog actually, went blind. She said, well, I guess, it, what else are we going to do <laughs> but teach him piano? And because the movie is about Lola Bell, this makes sense. But one of the songs in the movie is about teaching Lola Bell the blind dog how to play piano. Um, Lori loved this dog, made several pieces and installations about her and or just like included her in her art just on the side, mm-hmm. which is kind of why. And, and Lou loved Lola Bell, too. Oh, alongside the movie, Lori created a soundtrack album that features the music and storytelling, which you can listen to on Spotify. And luckily for us, the whole story is on genius. Um, so some of the songs are like legitimate songs and some are just her reciting a story because it's on genius. I'm able to read them to us now. So let's start with. The first story that is the one you see when you first walk into the room. We lived by a lake, and in the winter it froze. We skated everywhere. One evening I was coming home from the movies, and I was pushing my little brothers, Craig and Phil, in a stroller. I decided to take them over to the island to look at the moon that was just coming up. But as we got close to the island, the ice broke and the stroller sank into the dark water. And my first thought was, Mom's going to kill me. And I remember the knitted balls on their hats as they disappeared under the black water. So I ripped off my jacket and jumped into the freezing water and dove down and got Craig, and I pulled him up and threw him onto the ice. Then I dove down again, but I couldn't find the stroller. It slipped down the muddy bank further down under the ice. Then I dove in again, and I finally found the stroller and Phil was strapped in and I ripped the strap off and pulled him out and pushed him up onto the ice. Then I ran home, one twin under each arm, frozen and screaming. I ran in the door, and I told my mother what had happened, and she stood there and said, What a wonderful swimmer you are, and I didn't know you were such a good diver. And when I think of her now, I realize that was the moment I had been trying to remember. So that is the lake. Thoughts, feelings? You think she's going to be mad, and then she's just like, oh, my God, you you fucking got them out. You saved them. Oh. I knew she wouldn't be mad. You knew all along? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Andrew's got intuition like that. Andrew knows. has a mother's intuition. He does. He's very maternal. I'm That's a honestly true. <laughs> I'm a mother. Okay, so let's talk about the story on the opposite side of the wall. A juxtaposition, if you will. This story is called A Story About a Story. It's track 21 on Heart of a Dog. Oh. Here we go. I want to tell you a story about a story. And it's about the time I discovered that most adults have no idea what they're talking about. It was the middle of the summer when I was 12, and I was the kind of kid who was always showing off. I had seven brothers and sisters, and I was always getting lost in the crowd. And so I would do practically anything for attention. So one day, I was at the swimming pool, and I decided to do a flip from the high board. The kind of dive when you're temporarily magically suspended midair. And everyone around the pool goes, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. Now, I'd never done a flip before, but I thought, how hard could it be? You just somersault and straighten out right before you hit the water. So I did, but I missed the pool. And I landed, thunk, on the concrete edge and broke my back. I spent the next few weeks in traction in the children's ward at the hospital. And for quite a while, I couldn't move or talk. I was just sort of floating. I was in the same trauma unit with the kids who'd been burned. And they were hanging in these rotating slings, sort of like rotisseries or spits. Machines that would turn you around and around. So the burns could be bathed in these cool liquids. Then one day, one of the doctors came to see me. And he told me that I wouldn't be able to walk again. And I remember thinking... This guy is crazy. I mean, is he even a doctor? Who knows? Of course I was going to walk. I just had to concentrate. Keep trying to make contact with my feet to convince them, will them, to move. The worst thing about this was the volunteers, who came every afternoon to read to me. And they'd lean over the bed and they'd say, Hello, Lori, really enunciating each word as if I'd gone deaf. And they'd open the book. So where were we? Oh, yes. The gray rabbit was hopping down the road, and guess where he went? Well, nobody knows. The farmer doesn't know. The farmer's wife doesn't know. Nobody knew where the rabbit had gone, but just about everybody seemed to care. Now, before this happened, I'd been reading books like A Tale of Two Cities mm. and Crime and Punishment. So the gray rabbit stories were kind of slow torture. Anyway, eventually I did get on my feet. And for two years, I wore a huge metal brace, and I got very obsessed with John F. Kennedy because he had back problems, too, and he was the president. Much later in my life, when someone would ask what my childhood was like, sometimes I would tell them about this story at the hospital, and it was a short way of telling them certain things about myself, how I'd learned not to trust certain people, and how horrible it was to listen to long, pointless stories like the one about the Grey Rabbit. But there was always something weird about telling this story that made me very uneasy, like something was missing. Then one day, when I was in the middle of telling it, I was describing the little rotisseries that the kids were hanging in, and suddenly it was like I was back in the hospital, just exactly the way it had been, and I remembered the missing part. It was the way the ward sounded at night. It was the sounds of all the children screaming and crying. It was the sounds that children make when they're dying. And then I remembered the rest of it. The heavy smell of medicine, the smell of burnt skin, how afraid I was, and the way some of the beds would be empty in the morning, and the nurses would never talk about what happened to these kids, 
They just go on making the beds and cleaning up around the ward. And so the thing about this story was that actually I had only told the part about myself, and I'd forgotten the rest of it. I'd cleaned it up just the way the nurses had, and that's what I think is the creepiest thing about stories. You try to get to the point you're making, usually about yourself or something you learned, and you get your story, and you hold on to it, and every time you tell it, you forget it more. And that's a story about a story. Wow. Any thoughts, any feelings? I feel like she's good at telling stories. Well, she's a storyteller, all right. When she says, I, I, I cleaned it up just like the just like the nurses. You like that part? I did. <laughs> <laughs> that stuck with me. That'll stick with me. I like, too, how all of the pieces, even though they're from different times, are really connected in this one room. And how she talks about crime and punishment in this story. Um, and that's the pieces that are cut up in the middle of the sidewalk piece. And I also was just thinking about... When I first saw the sidewalk, I didn't know it was supposed to be a sidewalk. It kind of, it, and it is topographical. It kind of looks like an ocean or like a river in the middle. And I was just thinking that kind of connects it to these two stories too. Because the sidewalk is right in the middle of these two stories. And so it's kind of a water motif, if you will. Um, so water, books. But what I think was really cool was these pieces are all connected, but they're they're planned out a certain way, and I think they all revolve around Heart of a Dog, which came out in 2015. So she has the sidewalk piece, which was 2012, and then Heart of a Dog, and then 2021 was the the Bible-related piece, scroll. Um, and so it's like almost like she always intended to do Heart of the Dog, I think, and I think she was so obsessed with Lolabelle, like she knew she was going to do something mm. like that. Um, but everything else was just kind of revolving around that or connected to it. I'm going to leave us off with a Lori quote, of course. During an interview, she says, language is a way to not... Let me start this over. I feel like I always (laughs) start this wrong. Language is a way to not be lonely, to get out of your head, to put it into words. This is more the opposite, putting words into things which doesn't always work so well. And that's Lori Anderson. Woo! Long live Lola Yeah, Lori Anderson for the second time. Woo! Long live Lola Everyone should listen to Oh Superman. So good. So good. Thank you, everyone, so, so, for, so for good. making it through this. Thank you for doing it again yeah. for us. Absolutely. To bring so your, you for your message us, to the thank public. Thank you for putting us through it. Thanks for putting me out. <laughs> Thanks for putting me through college. <laughs> uh... Exciting. Next week, we're going to have a little special episode, too, so that'll be exciting. Um, But that's a surprise. Uh Uh-oh. That's a surprise for everyone. All right. I forget what I said last week. I think it was something very pleasant. What's what's been... I don't remember. Let me me think of a new one. One second. What's been silking your worm? Oh. Okay. Is that okay to say? Well, it's out now. That's okay. Out now on DVD. Out now, silkworm. Um, Leon, what's been silking your worm? Oh shit. Um, (laughs) I don't think I have any new music to report. Um, I've been listening to Pressure by Paramore a lot. Um, don't need to unpack it. I got 
pink champion sweatpants while thrifting uh, yesterday, maybe the day before. They are so fucking nice. And albeit they were Goodwill, but they were 14 bucks, which is like, which is insane for Goodwill, but they are so nice. And they're a pink, but if you know what comfort colors are, they're like a comfort color pink. They're very cute and I'm sporting them right now. That's really it. That's really what I'm um what's what I'm running very on. Very nice week. and cool. Thank very you. Nice they cool. are very nice and cool. <coughs> They're not cinched That's at the bottom cool. either. There's like a nice little cutoff. Thank you. Oh, I feel I feel I feel nice. I feel nice. She feels nice. What did you say it was? What's silking your... Silking your worm. I always want to say squelching now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's squelching your worm? Ew. Whose worm is getting silked? Show of hands. You just pick someone. Toss that thing to me. Yeah. All right. Andrew, what's silking your worm? Here we go. And I catch and my silk worm. Nice catch. Um, Thank you. Uh, I've been practicing. Uh, I'm going to give a quick, just a quick shout out to Skillshare. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Stink. We're not, we're not sponsored. Um, Maybe one day a girl can dream. But although, yeah, I mean, Skillshare, if, uh, I don't know if the CEO of Skillshare is listening, you know, he, go ahead. He listens to all uh, the indie podcasts, so. Throw us the, the sponsor. He or she. Um, He or she. Um, or they. Or they. Um, <laughs> I got a free I got a free month trial of Skillshare from buying movie tickets uh which I guess that's what AMC does now to make up for how fucking high all their prices so are but that's neither, neither here nor there crazy um they got to give you some kind of incentive to buy because right now I don't I don't want to um anyway I've been taking a WordPress class because uh, I want to make a WordPress site. Uh, and WordPress is way more complex than you could ever imagine. Mm. There's some light coding in there. Um, there's, like, a lot of plugins and add-ons to to add to make your shit pop. Um, Not your shit pop. So, yeah, I would have never been able to figure all this out. Uh, and it's also just got – WordPress does not have a very intuitive uh, – editing bay it like uses this gutenberg no fucking block editing software thing where like everything has to be a block it's very comp complicated um so shout out to skill share shout out to the i don't remember the guy's name whose class i'm taking <laughs> shout out to him because i would not be able to do this it's just a dude just some dude um, I'm going to toss this one over to you. What's silk in your worm, Courtney? Thanks for asking, Andrew. Um, I can't stop listening to Under Pressure. <laughs> like uh -uh. the song, Under Pressure. Like the, yeah. Um, I fully blame After Sun. Um, and I'm not listening to it enjoying myself. I, I, I can't stop listening to it and just sobbing my eyes out. It's actually really Under obscene. Pressure. It's such, I, Under Pressure's always been like a banger. It is so, I don't know if it's always been this sad or it's just the association now. It is actually such an emotional song. But anything David Bowie puts right his name on is like get bound to make me tear up, you know? Mm. 
Um, Bound. Yeah. So there's that. I guess similar plug. Um, After Sun was really good. I've made it now through, I forget how many, maybe nine or ten of the Oscar-nominated films. Maybe 12. Somewhere around there. Oh, Sea Beast went crazy. <laughs> Leanne likes Sea Beast. Um, but okay, I still haven't watched that one. Recommend. Oh, Andrew has low expectations though. Um, but I also I just want to say, um, everything ever all at once is back out in theaters in lieu of it being nominated for best picture and for all the wonderful actors and actresses that are nominated. Um, and if you never seen it in the theater, it is such a great theater movie. If you have seen it in the theater might as well go again um i this was my fourth time watching it third time in the theater and i picked up so much more detail that i never noticed before and also it was really fun watching with people who had never seen it before and like what they were how they were reacting and the couple poor couple behind me um the movie theater i went to did an intermission like a pee break which was so great um they did an intermission they planned the intermission right after they did the fake credits in the middle of the movie. Spoiler alert. There's fake credits in the middle of the movie. The cu- lovely couple behind me got up and left. And then they came back like five minutes later. And were like, oh my god. And I was like, I was going to tell them. But I felt I didn't know if that was okay. But I should have told them. Um, but yeah, go go watch some movies. It The movies this year are blowing me away, to be honest. They're really... I've just been crying my fucking eyes out, for real. So, that's my plug. Go cry your eyes out. Sobbed last night, sobbed the night before that. Been sobbing all week. Gonna sob tonight, listen under pressure. That's it. That's it. Well, we're done. See you, everyone. Well, bye. And I'm gonna watch a little Muppet basketball before bed. Bye, guys. Snuck that one in. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I already said bye.